0: You know, I don't know if this is well-deserved, uh, but I guess it's warranted. But uh, if you would walk around the office here at Grace of Ann, you might find that that I have a reputation. I have a reputation, a little bit, of, of being well-connected with food, and uh, I probably deserve that. Uh, it, it It preceded me. Um, our, our children's director, Jennifer Cronk, was at a conference a couple of weeks ago and ran into some folks from my previous church. And, and I thought, what a neat thing. They're going to share about how, how they miss me and how wonderful I am and what a great pastor and everything. Met Jennifer and said, he likes to eat. All you got to do is feed him and he'll be happy. So that was pretty much, that was pretty much it. And I guess it's true. But i got to tell you, though, there's one time, glorious moment... Probably the most glorious moment, unrepeatable, the most glorious moment on this side of heaven, I'm sure. I had the opportunity to participate in a wedding with some friends of ours, and uh, it was down in Naples, Florida. So we went down to Naples to the wedding, and it was a beautiful wedding, but that didn't compare to the, the reception meal afterwards. It was at the Naples Beach Club, right on the Gulf of Mexico looking out at the shore, and here's this huge room set up with food. It was glorious. There was steak, prime rib, lamb, chicken, lobster tails, all this other stuff, an entire room just for dessert, caviar. It was like the Super Bowl to me. My adrenaline was getting pumped. I was planning my... I was developing a game plan as I walked up and down the buffet line because I was going to glean the entire afternoon. So the line was long, but I went through, and you know, I'm visiting with everybody, and I'm talking with them, and then I got my plate. It was about like this, and uh, I said, I'm not talking anymore. It's time to eat. And I've got lobster tails, and I've got prime rib, and all that. It is just wonderful. And then the sun was setting over the, uh, over the gulf. Because it's on the western side of Florida. So this is a beautiful, beautiful setting. And someone stood up and said, let's all go out and have our pictures made while the sun sets. And the bride and the groom got up and left. And I'm there eating and I go, this is my chance. There's nobody in the buffet line. So I went up there. I had, I had more lobster tails in a one hour period than I had in my entire life. It was just that glorious. Gleaning. From that buffet table. But you know something? As wonderful and as full as I was, it was only a day or two, maybe three days, I was hungry again. The food didn't really last. And we have the opportunity today to glean from a a buffet from the Word of God that is food, food that lasts. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to glean from a passage that talks about food to illustrate a wonderful point. That Jesus is the bread of life. John chapter 6 is our familiar Sunday school passage. And I'm going to read some, but I want you to keep your Bibles open because it's one of those things where it's not like there's, there's one point. There may be. There may be no points. I hope there's at least one. But it's like a buffet. There's so much richness in this passage that we want to see what the Lord has for us. I'm going to read the first uh, 15 verses, and then we're going to just kind of refer back to the passage as we go. Here's the word of the Lord. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them, even to get a little. And then one of his disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five loaves, and... Uh, uh, Barley loaves and two fish But what are they for so many? And Jesus took over He said, have the people sit down Now there was much grass in the place So the men sat down, about five thousand in number Jesus then took the loaves And when he had given thanks He distributed them to those who were seated So also the fish As much as they wanted And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the Word of the Lord that we're gleaning from this morning. So by way of background, the passage starts off saying, sometime after this. And the idea is that Jesus was teaching the crowd, the multitude, sort of a popular phase in a lot of ways of his ministry. And he'd been going at it for six months, maybe even up to to a year. And he had uh, turned water into wine. He had healed a nobleman's son. He had healed someone else by the pool. And he had done different things like this, doing ministry. And as a result, he had attracted quite a following. And now, for various reasons in varying degrees, uh, some people followed him uh, because uh, of what he could do. They were, you know, the, they, they wanted the excitement. They wanted to see what he would do next. They were curious about who he is. Other people, his disciples followed him, and they too were figuring out exactly who he is, but they were attracted to him. And then some of these folks that were following him were doing so because they didn't like him and they actually wanted to to kill him. And Jesus knew all this. So after ministering down in the area around Jerusalem, he decided that he and his disciples would get away, that they needed a break. Plus, he had just found out that his good friend, his cousin John the Baptist, had met a gruesome death. So it was, a, it was a, an emotional time. And he decided he would take his disciples and he would travel north and end up on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee and rest and be refreshed. In verse 2 it says, But a great multitude followed him, and they saw the miracles he did on those who were sick. So the, they, they followed him. They saw the things that he was doing. He could, he could make sick people well. You know, they, they, uh, they didn't follow Him because they loved Jesus. They didn't follow Him because they wanted to turn from their selfish ways and, and because they believed that He was the Son of God. He, they followed Him largely because He could give them thrills and He could do miracles and He could do healings. They could come and see the, the show. I mean, it's, 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 it's a great show. They followed Him largely because of what He did. You see, they were in the presence of the bread of life, but they were so interested in seeking this bread that doesn't last that they were missing this wonderful truth who is a person named Jesus Christ. So he gets to the hillside on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and from there uh, he's, he's looking down, and he's, you know, it's it's springtime, so the grass is green. And, and in the backdrop, there's the Sea of Galilee, and it's Passover. So so we figure many of these folks were dressed in their, their colorful, ornamental Passover robes. And, and he sees them, and he knows that they need food. So he turns to Philip. Philip was from the area, so if anybody knew where all the places were to get food, Philip would be one that he would do that. So he said, Philip, where are we going to get some food to feed all these people? Well, Philip made a quick calculation And he said, you know, we can't do this. Even if we could get so much food on such short notice, it would take eight months wages just to give everybody a little bit. This is an impossible task. We can't do it. We are unable. We don't have the ability to feed all these people, Jesus. And Philip was right. Philip spoke the truth. It was impossible, and he was willing to go to Jesus and say, I am unable. Don't miss this. Philip admitted that what Jesus was asking, he was unable to do, and that's hard to do sometimes. But, you know, sometimes that is a wonderful place to be. You see, if you look at verse 6, it says that Jesus... Tested Philip because Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew that he was about to do something by his divine power that man was unable to do. That's a radical idea. His strength is made perfect in our very weakness, his ableness is demonstrated most often in our unableness. That's faith. That's the heart of what this gospel really is. That he is able to do far more than we can do. Far more than we could even ask or think. So I guess next time we find ourselves and we do in situations that we feel like we can't handle in a sense, in a very real sense, we, we need to be glad. And we need to remember this story. That Jesus is able to do far more beyond what we admit. Beyond what we can't do on our own. And sometimes when we're in those situations where we, 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 we just can't do it, sometimes in our inability, that's a blessing because it causes us to turn to the bread of life. It's a wonderful gleaning. Back to the story in verse 8, so so Philip can't do it. He admits it to Jesus. Jesus knows what's going on. Then Andrew chimes in, and we know the story. We we learned it in Sunday school or picked up on it somewhere. Andrew comes up and says, wait, there's a little boy here, and he's got some loaves, and he's got some fish, but that's not going to do it. There's too many people. In verse 10, Jesus takes over. He says, have everyone sit down. Now we read that there's 5,000 men, but that doesn't count the women and children. And people have estimated that that, that might be as many as fifteen or 20,000 people on this hillside. And Jesus is getting them organized, and he takes over. He takes the two barley loaves, the five barley loaves, and the two little pickled minnows from the little boy, and he gives thanks. And, and it says that he distributed so that everybody had as much as they wanted in abundance might have heard one application from this that's that the the little boy didn't have much just some poor man's bread and two pickle minnows but he gave all he had little is much in the hands of God 5000 men and women and children were fed more than enough and it says that there was enough left over that each disciple gathered the leftovers in their baskets. That's abundance. That's grace. That's what's going on that Jesus is demonstrating to these people in the crowd. And Then we look at the people's response. It's an incredible response. They weren't catching on. I mean, they had seen Jesus healing folks, and, and uh, now they'd had their bellies filled by Jesus. And what do they say? Hey, this is the prophet. This is the guy. This is... He's something special. Let's get a hold of him. Let's, let's march him into, into town and let's have a riot because we want to make him king Isn't that human nature. This is the guy we want as king. He heals the sick so we don't have to worry about health care. And he takes a little bit from someone and then he distributes it to someone else so that our bellies can be full. He gives it to us. Let's elect him king so that he'll take care of us. Huh. Human nature. But Jesus knew better. He knew that Satan had offered him all the kingdoms of this world. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 4. He offered him the kingdoms of this world, Satan did, on Satan's terms. And Jesus knew full well that these people wanted to make Jesus king on their terms. But his whole point in his entire ministry is this. Life works when it is lived on no other terms than my terms. And I will establish my kingdom on my terms. You see, Philip and Andrew and and really the the rest of the disciples couldn't, couldn't figure out how to fulfill this request Jesus made. How are we going to feed these people? They were at a loss. But Jesus was never at a loss. From the very beginning, he knew how he was going to provide, and he he looked upon that crowd that was following him with compassion. Did this mob spoil him, spoil his need for quiet and for rest? Did Jesus know that they were only interested in having their needs met? That they, they were going to, to seek Him as a political leader and that, and that eventually they would end up rejecting Him? Did, the, did He understand that they didn't really know who He was? Of course He knew. Nevertheless, He still provided bread for them in His compassion. As much bread as they wanted. That miracle is a sign. Jesus is telling them who he is. He's showing them that he's the bread of life. Then as you move down this passage and we're we're gleaning from chapter uh, verses 16 through 19, it's an interesting thing. I mean this passage talks about feeding and then there's these four verses here where Jesus is walking on water. And then the rest of the passage is talking about bread. So why in the world would John choose, or the Lord have John choose to put this passage here? You know, here are these disciples. They're fresh off of a miracle. They're, they're important players in this great event. I mean, why is this story about these disciples being in this boat and, and this storm coming up? I mean, what's the point? You know, how does it fit? How do these four verses fit in this chapter? What happened was, you know, Jesus uh, sent the disciples across the sea in a boat, and it was late in the day, and they take off. Uh, You know, there's a lot of them were, were, were fishermen. And it just happened as they were out rowing, the winds had come down from the mountains as they often do, and it stirred up a storm where a tempest was on the, on the Sea of Galilee and the waves were, were billowing and the winds were blowing and these veteran fishermen were afraid for their very lives. And they'd been rowing for most of the night and they'd only covered three or four miles. I wonder if these guys took their baskets of leftover fish and bread with them in the boat. Because if they did, it wouldn't be very much good to them now. I mean, somehow with these waves cascading over the boat and the rocking going on and the lake moving back and forth and it's the middle of the night and they don't really know where they are, they weren't thinking about where they were going to get their next meal. They were thinking, most likely, I would assume, if I was there, they were thinking about survival. I mean, they, they probably weren't saying, I wish Jesus was here because I'm getting a little bit hungry. I'd love to get some bread for our, for our bellies. I mean, I suspect if I was in that boat, I would be thinking about my very life. Sometimes the bread runs out. Sometimes we might have more than enough bread, but it's the wrong kind of bread and it doesn't help. So these disciples are rowing to the west and naturally when you row, they're facing back towards the east and they noticed on the whitecaps the outline of a man coming towards them. And then other passages that record this say that he looked like a ghost and they became even more afraid. Jesus got right up to the boat and he said, It is I. It is me. Do not be afraid. Then they took him into the boat And the storm was calmed. And immediately, it says, the boat was at the land to where they were going. It's another miracle. This one, not for the masses, but for the disciples. Miracles of healing and feeding, of walking on water, of calming the storm. Who is this? Jesus. He says, enjoy the bread. Be full. It's more than enough. But remember, disciples, sometimes you need the real Bread, and what you have in me is lasting bread. What you have in the boat with you is the bread of life. Jesus was present in the boat. Those are the miracles. What's the, what's the point? What's the message of all this? And we continue down this passage and we look in around verse 26 and verse 20, verse 25 through, through 28 through 930 in there. And, and so what happened was as we continue the story, it says that the next day the, the remaining crowd was still there. Some had gone home, but some had stayed there, spent the night on the hillside and they looked for Jesus and they couldn't find him anywhere. So they hopped in boats and they went across the sea to Capernaum. And they found him there. And he said, when, when did you get here? Sort of, sort of, why did you leave us? We're hungry and we want some, some more from you. Then Jesus starts teaching. He'd given the object lesson and now he's explaining it. He says, you guys followed me before because, because you wanted to see miracles. Now you're following me just because you want some food. In other words, you're coming to me just for what you can get out of it and you're missing the point. Don't work for the food that spoils, but work for that which endures for eternal life. Reminds me of a passage in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 2 says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. The rich food comes as we listen to Jesus Christ. But they still didn't get it. They're still thinking about their wants. And they say, well, what do we have to do to get this this lasting bread? Where do we apply? Uh, What forms do we have to fill out? What job interviews do we have to go to? How can we earn this bread? And Jesus says, you're missing it. You don't work. You believe in who I am. You see, I think the whole point of this is that we don't follow Jesus because what he does, and what he does is absolutely amazing. But we follow him because of who he is. And I'll let you know something. Jesus says, I have come to give you life. He is the bread of life. I've come to give you food. He is food. You are thirsty. I am living water. I came to give you peace because I am peace. Love, I am love, and on and on. You see, everything that Jesus Christ gives, he is. So he's saying, don't line up for more bread. Line up for me. Seems pretty clear. But in verse 30, we see an absolutely amazing response of the crowd. The people who had seen Jesus do these these miracles of many types made an incredible statement. You know what they said? They'd seen all this and they said, okay, give us a sign. You see, you fed us yesterday, but you had something to start with. I mean, you had, you had a couple of pieces of fish and you had five barley loaves. But, but Moses, he didn't have anything to start with. And he gave us some bread from heaven starting with nothing. So we want you to give us manna like Moses did. Well, Jesus says what really only Jesus can say. He says, truly, truly, or this is a true statement. I am the way and the truth and the life. Listen to this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, give us this bread always. And then Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That is a promise made by the Son of God. That's the message. What does it mean? Well, sort of a contrast between this manna and true bread. I mean, this crowd of followers, this curious onlookers, they, 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 they tended to see Jesus as a sort of a popular happening thing. You know, someone that could, could fill their bellies and, and he could heal and he could provide. He was sort of like a, like a divine bellhop for many people. And this, this bread, though, this bread that they're wanting, this manna that they want him to, to give them, like Moses did, even that manna didn't, didn't last. It was only good for the day, and then it spoiled. True bread from the Father is here, and it lasts. It's not an it, it is a he. So, what do you do when the bread runs out? What do you do when even the bread that we have just doesn't seem to fill us anymore? Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That means we come to Jesus with empty hands. Not so that he can fill those hands with manna, but empty hands so that we can cling to him. Because he he is the one, he is the, the only one who gives life and sustains life. You know what he's saying? I am the bread. And whoever believes that and comes to me will have his soul satisfied. Because we were made so that our greatest satisfaction was found nowhere else but in Jesus Christ. Other bread perishes. Like jobs and, 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 and health and, uh, you know, our hearts spring a leak. Or our finances go down the drain. uh, Or our houses get old and they need to be repaired. Our resources go away. It perishes. I mean, think about even these folks who, who ate the multiplied loaves and fishes were hungry the very next day. Even after that great buffet that I experienced, I was hungry again. And the manna spoiled. And the people died. And yet, in verse 36, he looks out at the crowd And says, I'm saying all these things to you, but you look at me and you do not believe. You have your heart set on the bread that perishes. Jesus is the one who wept over the unbelief of Jerusalem. And I have to think that this made him sad. But then he sums up this discussion with the crowd. And he says in verse 37, all that the father gives me, gives me, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He's kind of saying to the crowd, you know, you, you may not... Believe in me. But there is a group. There is an all who will come to me. And my Father is drawing them. And look what it says. All that the Father gives me. That all, the ones that come to him and believe, is a gift to Jesus from the Father. What wonderful assurance. Have you ever thought about that? You know, gift-giving is its kind of a weird thing. We want to give good gifts, but sometimes that's difficult to do. Sometimes we get a gift, and we're appreciative of the gift, but we don't really like it. Maybe, we'd like, maybe you've returned a gift before. Maybe you've, you've re-gifted before. Or maybe your kids, when you go around on a trip and you come back, they want to know, what did you, what did you bring me? There's one time when I was a, a youngster, my grandparents came up with the idea that I should collect rocks. So whenever they'd go on a trip, you know what they'd bring a little eight-year-old boy? Rocks. I feel like Charlie Brown at Halloween. What did you get? What did you get? I got a rock. Have you ever tried to re-gift a rock? I couldn't return them back to New Mexico or wherever they got them from. (laughs) It was strange. Sometimes it's hard to know what to give. What a relief it is when the person to whom we're giving the gift, they really like what they're getting. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Well, here's some amazing words of comfort in this passage. It says that if a person, if you have come to Jesus Christ and you believe in him, you know what? You are a gift of God. We are a gift of God the Father, to Jesus Christ. And if you're like me, sometimes I don't feel like I'm a very good gift at all. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because Jesus has absolutely no interest in ever returning you. So why are we such a wonderful gift from the Father? Because God the Father gives us to His Son. And on that Basis, We are so special. And Jesus is so glad to keep for eternity every gift the Father gives to him. And there's going to be a great birthday party uh, in heaven. You know, when there's a great birthday party, when, when you know, the, you're, you're a bunch of children come over and mom and dad give a party for their child. And you know, they say, hey, he's opening presents. And they say, well, let, let's see what you got. And the, the child holds up his, his Tonka truck or his, his Xbox or his shoots and ladders game or her doll or whatever it might be. He holds them up. Look what I got. Verse 39 says this. I should lose nothing of all that he has given me But raise it up on the last day. And verse 40 repeats the same thing. There's going to be a great party in heaven when Jesus Christ is going to raise his gifts up to the Father. Look what you've given me. Thank you for what you've given me. And we are those gifts. What a wonderful What a comforting assurance when we feel like we are the worst gift in the world. What an assurance for all who have come to him and believed in him. Because all who come to him are a personal gift from God to Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life, the deep and only satisfier of man's soul. And the bread of life is right here in their grasp. It's right here. He is right here in our grasp. And Jesus is telling this crowd, and God put this passage in here to tell us, come and believe that I am that bread. So what do you do when the bread runs out? What do you do when the bread you have just doesn't seem to do it for us anymore? Come to Jesus. Come early. Come often. Come and believe. Come to the one who cherishes you as a wonderful gift and keeps you forever. I want to say a little something as an aside. Uh, We have talked about this wonderful miracle that Jesus has done. It's a sign to point who Jesus Christ is, that he is the bread of life. Now next week, we will be participating in a sign that is given by the bread of life himself. We do that every second Sunday of the month. Of course, I'm talking about communion. I'm talking about the Lord's Supper. And I would invite you to spend some time this week in preparation for that wonderful, wonderful event by thinking about your walk with him and by asking yourself, is my greatest satisfaction in life coming from daily manna or is it coming from the source, the bread of life himself? Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you that we We're not left alone to tend to ourselves. And when we get caught in the middle of things that we don't handle well, when we seek to please you and know that we fall short, or when we feel distant because maybe we're not thinking about you or spending time in your word, sometimes it's good to be refreshed and know that, that, that we are a gift from our Heavenly Father to you, Jesus Christ. And we're so grateful for that. Help us to be mindful of the areas where maybe we seek our satisfaction above, elsewhere above the satisfaction that you offer us. Continue to work in our hearts, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. For it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.